Money Talks. But so do we. I'm Lauren. And I'm Daniel. And And we're we're your friends friends with with Tax tax benefits. Benefits. We're here to sound off about write-offs, to get wise about wealth building, and to take the taboo out of tax talk. We work at TurboTax so obviously, this is what we love to talk about. But we're not here to replace your accountant. In each episode, we'll share our own personal opinions, advice, and jokes about all things financial. What we won't do is share any opinions on behalf of Intuit, TurboTax, their brands, or employees. The lawyers made you say that, huh, Lauren? So stop scrolling on Tax Talk, tell your CPA you'll call them back later, and let's talk tax, friends. Welcome back to another episode of Friends with Tax Benefits. I'm Daniel Thrall, joined by my co-host, Lauren Thomas. Nice to see you, Lauren. Hey, hey, Daniel. Always a pleasure. What are we getting into today? Today, we'll be talking about home improvement and buying homes, selling homes, renovating homes, how to be smart about all of that. I'm super excited to talk to our guest today who has years of home buying, home flipping, home selling experience under her belt, is a financial blogger turned real estate investor, back to financial blogger. She started a website, Financial Best Life. I want to talk about that, what one's financial best life is when we get there. And she started that after getting out of major debt and becoming a six-figure online entrepreneur. She's the author of The Millennial Homeowner and has previously contributed to The Mint blog. Lauren Bowling on the streets. She's known as LB. And uh, LB has been a homeowner many times, including a, a couple investment homes that she's renovated and sold. There is a lot to talk about today. LB, thank you so much for joining us and talking with us. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Super happy to have you here, LB. And I'm going to take you, LB, back to, you know, 18, 19, 20 years old when you're staring at your future and you've got all of these different, you know, paths that you could go. And my sense is that you probably would not have guessed that you'd have traversed the path that you have. How in the world did you get to the point you are today? What was that path? So it didn't really start when I was 18, 19. I got a theater degree. Um, I wanted to be an actor. I wanted to go be on Broadway and sing. Um, I had a pretty bad shopping addiction in college that I received therapeutic treatment for. I had some debt from the shopping addiction. So I had to get like a full-time job instead of just what actors call survival jobs, which is like the part-time Starbucks. And then you go up and audition. Um, And so I got a full-time job as an administrative assistant at a hedge fund. And so that's sort of where my interest in money started. Um, And then after I left that position, I was like, you know, it was 2012. I didn't really know who to talk about it with. Me and my girlfriends weren't talking about money. And so that's where the blog started. I started it in 2012. Um, And from there, it kind of just took off and, you know, grew it over time into the online business that it was. Uh, Real estate came a little bit later, around 2013, 2014. Because I was remembering what I learned in New York City, I was like, I have a little nest egg from my time at the hedge fund. How can I not fritter this away and spend it, but use this money to make money? And so that's where real estate kind of came in. I know another thing that you advocate for is encouraging people to live their financial best life. What does a financial best life mean to you? I think to me, it's being able to do the things I want to do and not have to worry about money. And so that's sort of the mantra of the site that 
everyone has an idea of what their best life looks like. But I think what we don't think about is the money it often takes to live our best life. Like whether you want to have a baby or you want to start a business or you want to buy that Airbnb or you want to start investing in real estate, everyone has dreams. And it's easy to think about those dreams, but then how do we fund them? And so for me, the fi- my financial best life is I get to live out my dreams without money stress. I know I'm always going to want nice things. I've tried really, really hard to make myself not want nice things, and it just didn't work out. So for me, I'm like, how can I grow my income? And a lot of that was real estate investing. But for me, in terms of other goals like retirement and saving for home repairs or whatever, it's, it's that financial like minimum. Like I'm not bending over backwards to to retire early and save 40% of my income, but like what is the bare minimum I can do consistently? And then when I hit that and then the rest of it, I live my life. When you decided I want to invest in real estate, how did you plan for and make that action step of buying your first property? Yeah. So it goes back to my time at the hedge fund. I had received like the last payout of the bonus that I had there, it was $25,000. And I took that with me. I moved from New York back to Atlanta um, from Georgia. I grew up about an hour and a half away from Atlanta. So I I moved home and I said, I have this $25,000, just like burning a hole in my pocket. What can I do to grow my income? And at the time it was 2013, the market was still really, really low from the 2008 recession. I was like, I'm gonna buy some real estate. I have $25,000, what can I buy? Um, I got an FHA loan, which was only 3.5% down. It's a federal housing administration loan. It's a mortgage loan backed by the government. Um, And so homeowners can purchase homes with less than 20% down. So if you think the average home is like $400,000, $500,000 in a metro area, 20% of that's $100,000. That's a huge amount to save up. And on my salary at the time, I was making like $45,000 working in marketing. I could only afford like $120,000 home, but I wanted a nice home. So I bought a foreclosure for $65,000. And then I took on um, a 203k renovation loan, which is where you borrow money for your mortgage with your renovation costs. And so you make one payment every month. So that becomes essentially part of your mortgage. Yes, it's it's all in one. It's the mortgage and the reno cost. So for example, $60,000 house, $60,000 in renovation costs that put me at my $120,000 max. And it's so crazy because this was 10 years ago that I used this 203k product. And anytime I mention it, people are like, what was that? Like a lot of people don't know about it. So I'm curious about what advice you would give people who are considering buying a home right now. You know, people keep talking about a recession, the, you know, the potential for one starting, the interest rates are through the roof, relatively speaking, double what they were, you know, one or two years ago. How would you advise people or what are you thinking about as a realtor and a home flipper given the economy and the interest rates right now? Yeah, uh, that's a fantastic question. Actually, I recently went through a divorce. I just purchased my first home post-divorce in this high interest rate environment. And it was such a sticker shock how high the interest rates were. Like I'm used to buying a house in like the two to 3% range. And now the interest rates significantly higher. Um, So, but the same thing is like, people are always going to have to buy and sell. Like, yes, interest rates and the way the economy is will like keep people out of the market, but people are always going to get jobs and have to move. People are always going to want to get their kid into a better school district. So I always say that to sort of like soothe people a little bit that, you know, real estate will always be a thing. 
Um, for house flipping, it's a little bit more difficult, if, especially if you wanted to borrow money to do that because now your margin has been impacted because you're having to pay more in interest to borrow the money. And then we're also still in a time where housing prices are higher than they've ever been. So like I have a house flipping business, but I haven't flipped in a year because of the divorce, but also because of the market. Like it's a seller's market. It's not a, a buyer's market. Um, because of the moratoriums on evictions and stuff, because of the pandemic, there's not a ton out there to buy at auction through foreclosures and things like that. So it's a really, really tough time to get into house flipping right now, which is why I think if you're interested in real estate as an investment, I think house hacking is probably the way you would want to go, which is where you you buy a home knowing it's an investment, but you're going to live in it for a year or two or five until the market's a little bit better. Um, if you live in a house for about a year, you absolutely have to calculate the closing costs and all of that into sort of what you'd make. And also, if you're you're here two years or less and you make money on your home, you're going to have to pay capital gains taxes on anything you make, which I believe is close to like 20 or 25 percent. I would double check that with the expert, but it's it's a lot. You at one point made the jump from I am just learning about money to I'm buying my first home. How did you make the leap from there to then buying multiple homes and becoming a, a real estate investor? So when I bought my first house, I completely renovated it, um, fell in love with that process, as chaotic and stressful as that process is. I really love seeing the after, you know, and also like you're taking something and you're making it better. I really, really love that. So I really wanted to start investing more in real estate after that first sort of house hack of the house I lived in as of my primary residence. I actually ended up selling my blog for a time. And so I got the money from that. I had my son and I was sort of like at this career crossroads. I wanted to stay at home and be with my son for a bit, but I also wanted to have that money, keep making money. So I'm like, I'm going to do this real estate thing for real. I'm going to start house flipping. And that was was how that, that came about. Um, I used the money from my website and then turn that into more real estate investments. So it was kind of cool how that all worked out. So Lauren, you've weathered a lot of life changes, changes in your career, entrepreneurship, parenthood, divorce, these transitions in the housing market. And for you, you have so much resilience, right? That's so clear to us. What for you is the key to resilience? You know, I, I have a fairly like strong gratitude practice Every day I, I wake up and I think of three things I'm grateful for, and it could be big things like my son and my family or little things like, oh, I'm really glad I meal prepped today so I don't have to sweat that. It's about finding gratitude even when life throws you like these really, really inconvenient curveballs, both big and small. I love that. So you're, you're leaving me on an inspired note, LB, and I'm so grateful that you spent some time with us today and um, kind of told us your story and, and um, helping make home ownership and home renovation a potential reality for, for people who might not otherwise think so. Yes, Lauren, thank you so much for sharing your story with us today and your insights and your experience. Thank you, Lauren. Thank you, DT. Great. Now it's time to talk taxes. I'd like to welcome Diana Castro back to the podcast today. Diana is a tax and mortgage professional and an enrolled agent, which means she is an expert when it comes to taxes. So welcome back, Diana. Thank you for having me. I'm really happy to be here and impart some knowledge and hopefully clarify some misconceptions. 
So, Diana, in our conversation with LB, we discussed the implications of buying and selling a house within a year because of capital gains tax. So the question for those of us who are new to this arena, what are capital gains? And then what is the difference between long-term and short-term capital gains? So essentially, capital gains is a tax that is being imposed on, let's say, profits that you have. So that can be profits from the sale of a home. It can be profits from the sale of a business. It can be profits from the sale of stocks. So essentially, it's a specific type of tax, which is called a capital gains tax, that is being imposed on those gains or profits that you have realized from a particular sale. Right. So if I if I have an asset like a home and I sell it and I make money, the money that I make off of that sale is subject to what we call capital gains. Exactly. And the reason that matters that that's different is that the capital gains rate, so the capital gains taxes that you pay are different than the taxes you pay just as ordinary income. So there's different tax rates and that's why it really matters how your profits or the money you make, how those are going to be treated from a tax standpoint. And they're treated differently based on how long you held the asset, right? So there's a difference between what's known as long-term capital gains versus short-term capital gains. And can you break down for us what that means? Yes, I will. And and I think the because they call it short-term capital gains and long-term capital gains, that alone creates confusion because short-term capital gain is anything that you've held less than 12 months. But in reality, there is no short-term capital gains rate. You're basically being taxed at your own personal income tax rate. So you have your, in, your own personal income tax rate that you're being taxed at when you held the asset less than 12 months. And then you have the capital gains rate, which is the zero, the 15 or 20% rates that you're taxed at if you held that asset more than 12 months. Oh my goodness. And so like, imagine a top income earner, somebody who makes, I don't know, uh, I'm just going to pretend somebody who makes $100,000 a year, I'm guessing they're taxed at around 30%. And if they have a short term capital gains, a sale that is of a home that they've owned for less than a year, that would be subject to short term capital gains, and they would be taxed at their 30% rate on those gains. However, if it was long term capital gains, if they held it for more than a year, it would be what 20% is that what long term capital gains 15 that's the max that's the maximum long term capital gain yes but if they've held their home for more than 2 out of the last 5 years now they get a special exclusion so they're able to exclude up to 250,000 per person so if you're a married couple up to 500,000 of gain and you pay the best tax rate ever which is zero on any gain up to that amount Two questions there to follow up on that. So I can pay zero tax on up to $500,000 for a married couple. Is that if I just walk of profit, if I just walk away and don't even buy another house, I, I don't have to pay any tax on that? So yes. So um, essentially, if you have, let's say you're a married couple and you have 400000 of profit and you have held that home more than two out of the last five years, then essentially you could walk away paying zero capital gain. 
The capital gains rate or income tax rate have nothing to do with rolling money into a new property. That is a misconception that just seems to carry on from, I guess, tax code that was in play like 30 years ago, but people seem to think it still applies. So it does not apply for your primary residence. You can't roll over gains and exempt yourself. And for investment properties, it's the same thing. So let me just try to let me try to summarize this. I think we're getting pretty technical there and I think that what would be useful for listeners is when you sell your home if you hold it for more than 2 of the last 5 years um you don't have to pay any tax up to, you know, a certain level depending on if you're single or or married filing jointly. And it's not contingent upon buying a new home. You can walk with all of those gains. And then you will be paid at your regular income tax rate if you sell your house within a year. That is correct. Diana, I love that we're getting into really what are more advanced tax planning strategies around home ownership and investment. And I'd love to rewind a bit and go back to 101 level. A lot of our listeners are first-time home buyers or thinking about buying a home. What are some key tax tips that you have for new homeowners or people who are planning to buy their first home? Okay, yeah, that's a great question. So if you're planning on purchasing a new home and you're a first-time home buyer, for example, there is a credit that's been around for a long time and it is a fantastic credit that puts money back in people's pockets, but most people aren't aware of it. In fact, a lot of mortgage people aren't aware of it and a lot of real estate people aren't aware of it. But this tax credit it can amount to huge bucks and can really make the difference whether someone can afford a house or not. It's called a mortgage credit tax certificate and it's referred to in the industry as MCC. And this tax credit um, usually ranges anywhere from 10 to 50%. Most of them that I've seen are about 20%. And you must get it during the time of your transaction while you're in escrow, typically through your mortgage lender. So you'd want to ask your mortgage lender, do you offer, you know, MCC, that mortgage credit certificate? And the way it works is this, is let's say that in your first year, you pay $15,000 of interest and your tax credit certificate is for 20%. That means you are going to receive 20% of the 15,000, so $3,000 that year as a mortgage tax credit to reduce your tax liability. So that's really $3,000 that you're getting back. So let's say you had um, a $3,000 tax bill. Well, that'll wipe out your tax bill. You know, so that's saving you, you know, quite a few hundred dollars every month. And this tax credit is basically allocated to you when you get that certificate up front. So it's basically money that you're guaranteed to get from the government every year in the form of a tax credit. And if you don't use it that year, you get to roll it over continually. And you get this tax credit for 30 years. So it's a 30-year tax credit. Every year? Every year. What? No, every year. It's amazing. So let's say you had a $500,000 mortgage and it's 20%. You're getting allocated $100,000 up front that the government is basically going to be giving to you every year in the form of a tax credit to help you 
you know, pay off, you know, your, your tax bill, but you can use the money for anything. It's not, you know, required to use for any specific purposes. So if you end up with $3,000 back, when you do your taxes at the end of the year from that tax credit, you can use it for whatever you want to pay your property taxes, to go on vacation, to pay for your kid's tuition. There's no restrictions on how you use that tax credit money once you receive it. If you do happen to sell your home within nine years, you may want to be aware that there is potentially a recapture tax where you might have to pay some of that federal tax credit that you've received during that time back, but you may not have to. But you'll just want to take a look at that um, before you decide to sell. Who qualifies for this kind of tax credit? Okay, so there are income guidelines, and you would need to look at your county because it's typically offered county by county. Um, but the a lot of the income guidelines are pretty high, and they have different income guidelines for whether you live in what's considered a targeted area or a non-targeted area, which are designated by the government, right? So certain areas that are considered more lower income, they will allow you to have higher income limits if you're buying a home in that area to be able to receive this tax credit. Dan, a question for you. We've talked a lot about this tax credit. And often during tax season, there's a lot of talk about deduction. So what is the difference between a tax credit and a tax deduction? That's a great, great question. So basically, a tax deduction is something that's going to help you lower your taxable income. So for example, let's say that at the end of the year, you have $100,000 of taxable income. But now you have itemized deductions, so your interest, your property taxes, your DMV licensing fee, your charitable donations, and all those equal $35,000. Well, you get to deduct the $35,000 from your $100,000, and now that's going to be the amount you're going to actually pay taxes on because you've reduced or deduced your taxes by those deductions. A tax credit works completely different. I like to think of it as kind of like, you know, free money. Um, It's basically additional money that you are receiving in the form of a credit, you know, dollar for dollar. So if you're receiving a $2,000 tax credit, that's going to be $2,000 that you're actually receiving to reduce your liability or to be able to take it. So some tax credits can only go against liability and other tax credits you can actually receive above and beyond your tax liability. What are some credits and deductions that homeowners should really keep in mind for this tax season? Wow, that's a great question because there's uh, quite a few changes. So there's basically quite a few different um, energy credits that are going to be, that are available. Um, And they include things like solar, windows, doors, HVACs, you know, furnaces. So if you're looking to do any of those types of improvements in your home, you want, might want to double check to make sure that what items you're going to be putting in are going to be eligible for these additional credits. We were chatting earlier with LB about FHA and 203k loans. And a question that came to mind for me is, does the type of loan or mortgage you take out have any implications when it comes time to pay your taxes? So really, if your mortgage is being used to secure your home, that is considered that it is a tax deduction. Now, whether that will be a benefit to you or not depends on whether you're able to itemize or whether you're taking the standard deduction. Um, If you are itemizing, mortgages now are subject to a 
$750,000 limit, meaning you cannot deduct the part of your mortgage that's over $750,000. So there is that limitation on the interest that is deductible based on the size of your mortgage. So if your mortgage, though, is under $750,000 and it has been used to buy or renovate your home, then all the interest would be deductible. If it's over $750,000, then the proportional amount that's over that seven hundred and fifty dollars would not be deductible. That's helpful. And for those of us who have any confusion around standard versus itemized deductions, the standard deduction, essentially the IRS says all American taxpayers can deduct up to this amount from their taxes. But for people who have more expenses above and beyond that, that they can also use as deductions, then they might do what's called itemizing their deductions in order to take a, a larger amount of deductions off their taxes. Is that right, Diana? Absolutely. You got it, Lauren. I think you're a tax expert. <laughs> I am. I am, in fact, a de facto <laughs> tax expert. I think I've learned so much from Diana and the team. I'm just like a secret tax superstar over here. <laughs> Diana, always a pleasure. We really appreciate your knowledge and insights. Thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, gosh, thank you so much for having me, Lauren and Daniel. And I really do hope that this information is able to help our listeners be able to take charge of their finances, feel like they have more control, feel empowered maybe to, you know, actually be able to buy a home that they maybe thought they couldn't afford because there's actually resources available that they weren't aware of or, you know, partition out part of their home, you know, to rent it out and really leverage that asset that they have and maybe even use the money they're getting from the income of the rental to perhaps buy another investment property. Or I mean, there's just so much potential out there when you do have the knowledge and have, you know, be able to access all of the right resources. I've learned so much today about buying and selling and renovating homes. I want to thank Lauren Bowling so much for joining us today to share her story and her experiences. And as always, thank you, Diana Castro, for all your tax tips. Thanks so much for listening, everyone, to Friends with Tax Benefits. And I can't wait to see you next week, Lauren. Always a pleasure, Daniel. And thanks so much to you, our listeners, for tuning in. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Friends with Tax Benefits is an Intuit TurboTax podcast presented by TurboTax Studios and made in partnership with Frequency Media. We're your hosts, Daniel Thrall. And I'm Lauren Thomas. From Intuit TurboTax, Jane Lahani is our executive producer and Tony Melinda is our video producer. From Frequency Media, Jordan Rizieri is our producer, Emily Krumberger is our associate producer, and Matthew Ernest Filler is our editor and sound designer. Concept development by Jessica Olivier, Jill Pashesnik, and Isabel Moncloa Daly. This podcast is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever podcasts are found.